Welcome to Podium Chronicles. I'm your host Ben and let's just jump into the Monaco weekend recap. But before even on-track action happened, we have some off-track news to talk about. It was announced that for the 2026 season, Aston Martin will partner up with Honda. Honda will become their engine supplier. As we know for the 2026 season, six different engine suppliers were approved by F1. We have the Renault-owned Alpine Racing, Audi, Ferrari, Honda, Mercedes and Red Bull Ford. Whereas today we only have four engine suppliers. So this that would make the sport I think more interesting in my point of view, more engine suppliers, which means more solutions to regulation proposed, different uh, engine performances, uh, much more interesting than having four today. As we know, currently Honda works with Red Bull and AlphaTauri, uh, which will work out until 2025. It's a partnership that works out well. The, World Championship proves that, but there's also been tension between uh, the two of them. So it's, I think, uh, for the better of uh, both of Honda and Red Bull to move away from uh, this partnership. It will be also interesting to see Aston Martin move away from Mercedes, as they are currently supplied by Mercedes engine. But this will also mean the link up, the new uh, link up again between Alonso and Honda. Obviously, this is provided if Alonso stays until the sport until 2026 and stays with Aston Martin until 2026. Well, let's just assume, assume that happens. This will be a very interesting partnership to see um, how it will work out. Obviously, we know Honda and Alonso, their history is kind of tough. It's kind of beefy uh, because they were working together when Alonso was at McLaren and it didn't work out well. The, uh, the team went to a back row team. Alonso complained on the radio, GP to engine, GP to engine, we all remember that. So it will be very interesting to see uh, how it will work out. The next big piece of news was Mercedes bringing their upgrades to Monaco. These upgrades were meant for Imola, but with obviously the flood that happened at Emilia Romagna, the race was cancelled. So Mercedes decided to bring them to Monaco, which was a risky move by the team, as in Monaco you can crash easily and damage those new parts as well as it's a street circuit, so you really cannot test out the limits uh, to your upgrades. But Mercedes decided to go ahead with it. They needed to do something radical, as at times they were the fourth or even fifth best team on the grid, with Alpine and Aston Martin uh, taking them over, depending on the, on the race. But Mercedes needed to do something. And with bringing the upgrades to Monaco, they will have a step over the teams who bring those upgrades to Barcelona. They have a better understanding of their upgrades. So better for Mercedes and they didn't crash any of the new parts, not to the best of my knowledge at least, so good on Mercedes. Going into the weekend, we had three big storylines, three big themes to follow. Number one was can Perez keep up with Max, can he mount his title challenge, can he continue his title challenge? As we know, Perez is the better of the two when it comes to street circuits. Perez won in Monaco last year, Perez won in Baku this year, Perez won in Singapore. But Miami also didn't turn out as Perez expected. The Mexicans started on pole while Max was ninth, but Max ended up winning comfortably in the United States, so Perez really needed the win this weekend. So that was an interesting uh, theme to follow to see whether the Mexican can actually keep up and can he get his Red Bull on pole and can he win this race to be back in this title fight. The second big theme was can Charles finally break the Monaco curse? As we know, Monaco is Leclerc's home circuit. By the same time, we know that there's this kind of curse going around with Monaco and Charles. Even if he starts on pole, he crashes the car and needs to go back to the grid. Or even if he looks good for a podium, Ferrari's strategy messes him and ends up finishing off uh, the podium. 
So there's this kind of curse going around and whether uh, Shaws can finally break it was an interesting thing to see. He even looked favorite to some for a pole position in Monaco. As Ferrari looked good pace-wise in Baku, at least in qualifying, and Monaco, we know, overtaking his heart, so with a pole position, a good result is almost always assured. And the final theme for the weekend was Ken Alonso finally win a race. After 10 plus years of waiting for a race win, can he actually do it? Can he start on pole position in Monaco? Speaking of qualifying, let's break it down how Q1, Q2 and Q3 ended. Perez, Joe, Hulkenberg, Magnussen and Sargent were all eliminated into Q1. Perez crashed his Red Bull after his banker lap into turn 1, which forced him at the back of the grid. And if there's one race where you don't want to start at the back of the grid is Monaco. Zhou qualified 19th, which was pretty much uh, expected from the Chinese driver. The Alfa Romeo wasn't on pace and hasn't been really on pace uh, all season long. Hockenberg and Magnussen 18th for 17th. A disappointing start to Haas's 150th weekend. It was pretty much expected by the both of them, so no surprises there. Sargent barely missed out on Q2, very good qualifying from the American rookie. Bottas, Troll, Albon, De Vries and Piastri were eliminated in Q2. 15th by Bottas was expected, as we mentioned with Joe, the Alfa Romeo hasn't been on pace this season. So 15th place getting out of Q1 was good enough for Bottas. The same cannot be said about Stroll, for only 14th. There's this theme starting to emerge with the Canadian. In Miami, he didn't get out of Q1. Here, he didn't get out of Q2, while teammate Alonso fights for pole positions, or at least fights at the top of the grid. Stroll simply put needs to do better in qualifying. Albon qualified 13th, a very good qualifying for a tie driver, nothing to complain about here. Nick de Vries 12th, another good qualifying by the uh, Dutch driver, finally good qualifying by the Dutch driver, getting into Q2, fighting for Q3, he finally looked on pace uh, for the first time this year. Oscar Piastri 11th, once again fighting to get into Q3, barely messing out on Q3, very good qualifying as well by the Australian driver, nothing to complain about here. As for Q3, Norris qualified 10th, which was where he was expected to be. Getting into Q3 is a good achievement for Lando. Maybe 9th could have been obtainable for him, but still 10th good qualifying. Yuki Tsunoda qualified 9th, which was unexpected. The Japanese driver was on pace all qualifying long, even topping the timesheet in Q1. So overall, very solid qualifying for Yuki. Russell only started 8th, which was a disappointment for uh, George. He was expected to be better, especially with the upgrades brought by Mercedes. Being beaten by both Alpines, both Ferraris, is pretty disappointing for George. Speaking of the Alpines, Gasly started 7th. Compared to his teammate, not as good, but still 7th uh, is uh, an overall solid qualifying by Pierre Gasly. Well done by the Frenchman. Hamilton starting 6th is a bit disappointing for the bridge driver, as he expected maybe to beat at least one of the Ferraris with the upgrades brought uh, to the Mercedes. But he still beat his teammate and beat the Alpine of Gasly. Speaking of the Ferrari, Sainz uh, starting 5th. A bit of a disappointment for Sainz as he looked good on pace in practice 1 before crashing his Ferrari, which brought down his pace uh, for the rest of the weekend. Uh, so looking at how the weekend started, a bit disappointing, but fifth is a solid result. 
Esteban Ocon qualified fourth, which was a very good result for a Frenchman. Unexpected. They happen to be this much on pace all weekend long, even looking better than Mercedes at certain points. So very good qualifying by the Frenchman. Even was on pro provisional pole position before being beaten out by uh, the other drivers. So very good uh, qualifying by Esteban Ocon. Charles Leclerc uh, qualified third. He barely missed out on pole position, but third was a good qualifying until he was handed a three-place grid penalty for blocking Norris. Uh, during qualifying which brought him down to sixth and also brought up Ocon to third which meant that he looked good for a podium. Alonso qualified second only missing out by less than a tenth of a second on uh, pole position. He was nearly there it looked like he, this could be his first pole position since Germany 2012 but then Max Verstappen came on pole position with a huge third sector amazing third sector and put his red bull on pole position no one could truly keep up with uh, his pace all weekend long now then as for the race as we know monaco is in the most exciting race in terms of overtakes there's a lot of excitement there's a lot of galore coming with monaco but if we only look at it, overtakes it's not the uh, most exciting most thrilling one now then is this an issue of a circuit layout is this an issue of course can some changes be brought I don't agree with uh, the theme going around, the idea going around of not bringing Monaco back to uh, the calendar. Monaco is a historic circuit. Monaco needs to be on F1 grid. It's a legacy circuit like Silverstone, like Interlagos, like Spa that always needs to be on the calendar. If an F1 season needs to be legitimate, it needs to have Monaco. It needs to have this quote-unquote legacy circuit. Obviously, COVID can happen and whatever, but still, in a normal season, I think these legacy circuits should be uh, on the calendar. Now then, can changes be brought to Monaco? Yes. Can we have special, smaller cars for Monaco? That could be an, an idea, but then it will cost the teams a lot of time and a lot of money. And will teams risk that for 44 points, best scenario, which is race win pole position and second place? I'm not so sure. Maybe changes can be brought to the layout, but it's a street circuit, so on that front, I'm not so sure either. All I know is that Monaco needs to be kept on the calendar. Going back to the race in 2023, the race was actionless. That is until lap 53 when rain decided to arrive. This messed up the whole grid, this brought out incidents, this changed up everything. So going back to the themes of our weekend, number one, can Perez keep up with Max, can he mount his title challenge? That question was answered in qualifying when Perez only qualified the last, when he crashed his car in qualifying, which meant that he was uh, starting uh, at the back of the grid. And if there's one race where you don't want to do that, it's Monaco, as you cannot overtake. Perez and Red Bull came up with a solution, a sort of solution for that problem. On lap one, he immediately pitted for hard tires, which meant that if there's no rain, there's no incidents, there's no safety car, he doesn't need to pit and he can get through the field pretty easily. Unfortunately, this plan didn't work out for the Mexican. He managed to jump a few people during pit stop, and I thought it was a good strategy for Red Bull to pit him straight for hot. And if he can keep up pace with Max, he would be 20-25 seconds behind him. So if Max splits, he can get onto the Dutchman. Unfortunately, Perez caught up with a train led by Logan Sargent, in which there was the Haas of Magnussen, the Aston Martin on Van Stroll, and a few other people. But crucially, he couldn't get past Lance Stroll. Aston Martin and Red Bull were pretty similar on pace all weekend long. Red Bull a bit better, but not enough better that 
Perez can easily overtake Stroll. So there was he was stuck in uh, this train all race long. Rain didn't help out his cause as he crashed under wet conditions and was pretty much out of the race at that point. This means that he is now 39 points behind Max and getting 39 points over Max all season long will be a hard task for the Mexican to fight for his potential first world championship. As for the second theme of the weekend, can Charles break the Monaco curse? This was also pretty much answered at the beginning of the weekend when he was handed that free grid place penalty for blocking Norris. He was in 6th place and he was stuck behind people, he couldn't overtake uh, the cars in front of him and he didn't manage to step on the podium, so for on that front, that's a no as well. And finally, for the third theme of the weekend, can Alonso finally win a race? This is also a no, unfortunately. Alonso looked to be pretty much on pace with Max for a point, but then he dropped behind Max. Uh, Alonso started on different strategy. Alonso started on hearts with Max on mediums, but that turned out to be uh, useless at that point as Rain arrived by the, by the time both cars would have pitted. Max did really well to keep his medium for 50 plus laps, but then at, when Rain started, Aston Martin decided to pit uh, Alonso. As it turns out, they didn't think the rain was going to last, so they put him on medium tires, but it quickly turned out to be the wrong call. Rain was There was too much rain, there was too much uh, slipper, uh, slipping around, so he needed to pit again, which brought any uh, chances, chances of a fight for victory over. He was 20 plus seconds behind Max. Max was just on, uh, too much on pace, he was just too fast. So even if, had they not pitted for mediums at the time they pitted, but for inters, I don't think Alonso could have put up a fight against Max. Max was just too too fast this weekend long. As for the other notable events during the race, we had Mercedes finish 4th and 5th. It's 22 points for the team. Is this a consequence of the upgrades? I'm not so sure. We will see that uh, in Barcelona. But still, they look to be the 3rd or 4th best team all weekend long. If we were to rank uh, the teams, we had Red Bull obviously number 1, Aston Martin 2nd, maybe Alpine 3rd, maybe Mercedes 4th. Uh, maybe Mercedes third and maybe Alpine fourth. It's all a question of point of view. But I, they were pretty much on the same pace with Ferrari being clearly the fifth uh, best team all weekend long. Now, that could Mercedes get a podium? Maybe. But as we mentioned, it's Monaco. It's hard to overtake, and Mercedes and Hamilton with the Mercedes didn't manage to get past Ocon uh, for third place. And Russell finished fifth with a five second penalty handed to him for wrong grid position, which is a theme we had we seen all season long, people staying at the wrong grid position, and that was the case for Russell as well. I don't think that Mercedes or Mercedes fans can be too too disappointed with the weekend. 22 points for the team, solid performances all along, and upgrades coming, upgrades happening. We'll see what that's, that means in Barcelona. The second team I want to talk about is Ferrari. We already mentioned them. But they only finished 6th and 8th, and they looked, race-wise at least, like the 5th best team. Qualifying may be better, maybe 3rd, maybe 4th, but race-wise, clearly 5th uh, best team. Now then, this is in part due to Sainz having a very bad weekend. As we mentioned, he already uh, crashed in practice, and then in lap 11, fighting with Ocon, fighting in P4, fighting for that podium, he touched the back of Ocon, damaging his front wing. He didn't need to pit, but his performances dropped off after that. 
And in typical Ferrari fashion, we had a bad surgical as last year, this year as well, rain messed them up. While the rest of the grid were already on intermediate tires and it was raining down heavily, the two Ferraris were prancing around in medium tires, hoping to not crash and getting into the pit as soon as they can. But even when they pitted them, they were double stacked, which meant that one of the Ferraris, the Ferrari who was behind, in this case Sainz, had to wait even longer. This also meant that we saw Charles and Carlos fight turns before they get into the pit stop to be the Ferrari in front to get that help first. It's been honestly a shameful, shameful weekend from Ferrari once again. How I don't understand how they can have so many bad strategy calls time after time, time after time, race after race, year after year. There's there's something wrong at the team and I don't understand what it is. It's not Binotto, or maybe Binotto was a symptom of that, but it's not on better on the Vasseur. Ferrari don't look poised to for a race win. They look like the third, fourth, or fifth best team at weekends. Clearly, the first two teams are Aston Martin and Red Bull, but then the rest, three, four, five, are really mixed up with Alpine, Mercedes, and Ferrari. But it's just not enough from the Ferrari. Simply put, not good enough. I don't know what changes can be brought, maybe some upgrades to the car, but this looks like a bad, bad season for Ferrari. And the final team I want to talk about on a positive note this time, it's McLaren, finishing 9th and 10th, solid points for both drivers. Good weekend all along for McLaren, bringing that team back, not looking like the team they were in Bahrain at the season opener, where they looked to be one of the worst, if not the worst team. They look to be a solid team, getting points here and there, bringing back the team to where it potentially was in 2020. So good trajectory from the team, very solidly weekend from Norris and Piastri as well. It has to be said, the Australian has been mildly impressive this season with keeping up with pace with Lando, being on par with him, uh, very impressive, being better than what Ricardo was at McLaren, which is a surprising uh, thing to see. I'm not saying that Piastri is a better driver than Ricardo, but at least he's performing better than Ricardo was at McLaren. Uh, in terms of overall, so very, very good weekend, very good Monaco for McLaren. The same cannot be said about Indy 500, but hey... You have to win one, you have to lose another, that's uh, that's how it goes. And as for my driver of the weekend, it has to be Esteban Ocon. Ocon was fantastic all weekend long, qualifying fourth, which was promoted to third, and then keeping that third place, defending, defending for his life, very well defended, very deserved third place for Ocon. Overall, Alpine have been very uh, a very good team this weekend long, with uh, Gasly finishing seventh, solid points for the French team. A new podium for Ocon, the third one of his career after Sakir in 2020 had that chaotic race that we most famously remember for Perez winning, but we don't need to forget that Ocon was on the podium, with Stroll being the other uh, person on the podium, which is still crazy to think about. And then obviously we have his race win in Hungary in 2021, with a mighty mighty drive from him, and obviously the help of Alonso with whom he shared the podium today in Monaco. So that was nice to see them reunited, being smiling, even if their relationship from the reports wasn't that great at Alpine towards the end of it. We obviously had the incident in 2022 Hungary, where it looked like Ocon pushed uh, Alonso to the wall. But still, it was nice to see them on the podium, both of them smiling, and very deserving uh, podium for Ocon. For once, I agree with the votes of the driver of the day being Ocon, which usually is just a popularity vote, but this time around, 
seems that fans had uh, the right minds, they had the right idea and voted for Ocon to be the driver of the weekend. Although we have to mention also Alonso finishing second, being on pace, being a very good driver, continuing his streak of podium, continuing to be the driver who brings Aston Martin up. And obviously Max Verstappen dominating on weekend long, no one on pace with the Dutchman. So both of them deserve mentions, but Ocon has to be my driver of the weekend. Now then, this podium was one for the history ages, as at 41 years old, Alonso became the oldest driver to step on the podium in Monaco since Jack Brabham did it in 1970, who also finished second, as did Alonso. And by finishing on a podium, Ocon became the first French driver since Olivier Panis to step on the podium in Monaco. Olivier Panis did it in 1996 by winning the race and now Ocon by finishing third. Very impressive uh, weekend altogether. Now then, it's time for predictions for the next race in Spain. Spain will be a very important race for a calendar as teams usually bring their upgrades to Spain so we see who can keep up with their competition, who can beat someone, who can maybe catch up to uh, the rest of the competition. So it will be interesting to see uh, who brings what and who and what Mercedes upgrades truly mean. As we mentioned, they cannot really test it out in Monaco, so Spain will be the opportunity to do that. The race will be also very important for Perez. He needs to win this race to keep his title fight going. He needs those plus seven or plus extra eight extra points over Max to truly get this title fight going on, to do something to look forward to his first championship. Because if he doesn't, I think we can book it now. 2023 will be Max's year, will be Max's third world championship. And as far as my predictions, I'm not going to go bold with this one. I see the Red Bulls finishing one and two. They are clearly better than everyone on the grid. I don't see Aston Martin bringing upgrades which will catch them up. I don't see Mercedes, Ferrari or even Alpine maybe bringing upgrades which will catch them up to Red Bull. So I'm going one and two for the Red Bull boys. And I'm sorry, Checo fans, but I'm seeing Max winning this one. He won it in 2016. Max knows this circuit. It's the type of circuit Max likes. I uh, don't see it uh, going Paris this way. But hopefully the Mexican will surprise me. As for third, I'm not so sure. I'm seeing one of the Mercedes boys. I'm seeing George Russell stepping on a podium. I'm sorry, Alonso, but I think that the upgrades will actually mean something, will actually show something for the Mercedes, and they will be closer to the Red Bulls than they are to the Alpines or the Ferraris, and closer to the Aston Martins as well. And I see maybe luck going or something going Russell's way, which means that he will finish on the podium. As far as my bold prediction, maybe I wouldn't call it bold, but as far as my out there prediction, let's say, I'm saying Nick de Vries getting his first points of the season. Monaco was a pretty good weekend with him, although he was lacking pace to his teammate Tsunoda. But he seems to get along with his car and he need, really needs to perform as rumors of him being replaced are getting louder and louder. So I see him getting everything together this weekend and getting his first points of the season, which will hugely boost his confidence in my mind and will have them help him potentially keep his seat until the rest of the season. It would be also very interesting to see the new layout, quote-unquote new layout of the Spanish GP, as the chicane in the last sector has finally been removed. That damn chicane, that chicane that ruined everything has finally been removed, which will hopefully mean more speed as drivers will have more speed in the star line straight, hopefully more overtakes, as Spain is usually a pretty boring race with not that many uh, overtakes, so hopefully this removal of the last chicken will uh, improve racing in general. 
Nick DeFries will be my driver to look out for for the weekend, the driver to keep up with, the driver to look out all weekend long to see him potentially perform well. And this will do it for our Monaco recap. Thank you for listening. Leave us a review if you enjoyed the podcast and leave us any comments you want. And you can find our social media in the description below. Until next time.